On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and in this week's edition of the show, I've got a great podcast for you. We're going to talk to Pete Lawler from The Australian about his experiences in South Africa, and then I'm going to wrap up all the news with two of the Daily Telegraph's sports reporters, Jamie Pandaram and Carly Adno. But let's start with my good friend, Pete Lawler, who's back from South Africa. Hi, Pete. How are you? Good, Andrew. Good. It's the birthplace of Carly Adno, you know, South Africa. Yeah, I know. We're certainly going to touch on that later on and get maybe a a South African point of view. But I'm aiming for this podcast to be kind of therapeutic for you, Pete, because, you know, I listen to you (laughs) sort of struggle through the back half of the South African tour, and I imagine it was quite grueling. Look, every tour is grueling, but those ones are. It's hard work. Long days, and yeah, that was the tour from hell, to be honest with you, Andrew. It just never stopped. It was quite traumatic, too, in a way. I mean, apart from just wearing you down with the amount of work, just to see. It's hard to sort of figure out why it was traumatic, but I suspect it was just... You watched three blokes blow up their careers almost, didn't you? And uh, all the emotions involved in that. Um, it, you know, I think... Uh, that sort of grief is almost a virus, isn't it? You couldn't sort of watch it and not feel some yourself. No, you certainly... Um, I mean, I went to the Steve Smith press conference at the Sydney airport and I found that really difficult. I mean, I left upset. Uh, it was it was awful, as you say, to see Smith and all three of them completely blow up their careers. And it's hard sometimes when you cover people and you have obviously as a journalist you try to be neutral and objective but it's hard not to be empathetic in those situations well look i I think most of australia uh felt some empathy or or sympathy or whatever that word is for him didn't they i mean it was wretched to watch it and you're right i mean cricket cricket journalism is pretty intense because you're stuck with a very small group of people for a long time you know in all sorts of situations so you do uh, well, you spend a lot of time with them. Sometimes it makes you hate them. Sometimes it makes you love them. And uh, most of the time you try and stay neutral. Now, I'm... It must have been incredible to be in that room. I'm glad I wasn't there, to be honest. I saw a still when I woke up in the morning from that press conference and thought, I don't even want to see that press conference. But unfortunately, I had to watch it. <laughs> you know for my job but uh, it was grueling it was rough going yeah i shed a little tear i've got to say um standing Mm. up the back there and and i've always been a big fan of steve smith and i've always seen his flaws and his strengths in equal parts i mean i i said last december and i'm not trying to say i told you so but i thought that he was riding an emotional roller coaster all the time being captain of australia and somehow would eventually catch up to him Gee, that's very perceptive of you. Yeah, yeah. And that, to some degree, that's what happened, didn't it? And, you know, 
you're right, aren't you? Because he's a guy who struggles to sleep when he's playing cricket. So, you know, he gets sort of fraught and caught up in the emotion of things. And when it's going well, it goes really well for him. But uh, it'll be a, a, a big learning curve for Steve Smith. He'll have to... And he's the sort of guy who does learn from experiences. So, you know, he will come back better from this. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Mm, yeah, I hope so. Now, tell me, what was the reception like from the South African public and I guess the South African media to the Australian team uh, when they first hit South Africa? Oh, look, I think one thing you know as South Africans is they just want to beat Australia so badly. I like South Africans. They're very in-your-face. Uh, they remind me a lot of Australians in some ways. Uh, they're abrasive and aggressive, but, you know, there's, it, it's a bit of a front to some degree. But as I said, they've, they've grown, there's a whole generation of them, possibly two. Yeah, there's two, maybe three, who've never seen Australia beaten in South Africa, and they wanted to beat Australia so badly. They're pretty good, generally. I mean, the crowds are can get feral they're young crowds full strength beer they uh they don't do political correctness in south africa so they go hard but i don't think that that's very much different to the way australian crowds go anyway i don't think i've ever seen much in south africa that i wouldn't have seen in an australian crowd so i always find it's in reasonable spirit it's very competitive but uh and yeah it oversteps the line sometimes but they don't worry me too much south african crowds and i've got to say when it all blew up, I mean, the, the next day the Australians were booed, and rightfully so. But after that, all of South Africa went, oh, this is just a tragedy. I mean, they actually felt for Australians. You could feel that in the press box where there'd been a lot of, uh, there's always to and fro in a press box between the, the journos. It's always good-natured to a degree, but uh, everyone just went quiet in that last test in the press box and people I'd run into around town, they'd just sort of shake their heads and say, geez, I'm s- rough time, pal, sorry. But, uh, interesting response. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess it, it did take the gloss or the attention away from the South African series victory in Mornay Morkel's last test. It was overshadowed by the controversy around the ball tampering. Mm. Um, just when, you know, you described the way the South Africans really want to beat Australia and you felt that, I think they almost did what we do to the Poms when they come here. When the Poms come to Australia, they feel like everyone's out to get them and, you know, the whole country wants to beat them. And I feel like the sort of South Africans did that to us. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I feel most of the blame for the pressure on Australia in South Africa lies with the Australians. I think they picked it almost every fight. They lit up every fire. And... They just, I think they just caused so much trouble that it's, they hemmed themselves in, they painted themselves into a corner. And when that third test in the series was slipping away from them, they sort of mad, got a bit mad with panic. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, the, the South African papers certainly don't go as hard as the Australian papers. You would never see anything there like the way the English are treated by art. Mm. I think um, the Australians made a massive mis- misjudgment in the first test when they, well, when Warner had that very vocal send-off in inverted commas to A.B. de Villiers and Lyon dropped the ball there, that just seemed to sort of light the whole series up in a, in a bad way, like a bonfire way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's, um, that, was, that was insulting in so, on so many levels to the South Africans, you know, and to, that, to the young opener who's going to be their next captain and who was so brilliant with the bat. 
and to their veteran who was lying flat on the ground, have the ball dropped on him like that. I mean, Lyon apologised later, and it's all very well to apologise later. That shows that you have some decency, but yeah, that was that was pretty ugly. Yeah, and there's always you only just have to scratch the surface in Australia South African matches, and there's that sort of underlying tension to that brought it to the fore. But let's talk about this ball tampering. Pete, you were there, and I'm not looking for excuses, but I am looking for understanding and reasons. Why do you think the ball tampering happened? I don't know. I don't know yet. I, I know that they lost their moral compass to some degree, that they went mad in Africa, that they picked too many fights, that, you know, they lagered the wagons and people were coming at them. But... Yeah, I, I think I think there's a three-volume book in it. You know, I think maybe you go back through Australian cricket for 30 years and look at what became acceptable to win a match and was acceptable to Australians but not, not necessarily acceptable to other countries. And, you know, that was always around the, the aggression on the field, wasn't it? Verbal and, to a degree, physical aggression. <sighs> Were they under a lot of pressure there? Like, you know, we... We heard here, you know, all the stuff with David Warner's wife and then all the, the stuff yeah. with Rabada. I mean, was was that really wearing on the team? Was that visible? Yeah, yeah, it was visible. The Warner stuff was visible and I think, you know, the, a little bit more of that's come out, but he was struggling with that. I must say that um, after Rabada got off, I mean, and I'd really have to go back and piece this story together because it just, it was just an unfolding car crash. At times, you, you can't sort of, put all the links together but i do remember that after rabada got off smith was really peeved and he he came out and he said stuff to us in a sort of closed group press conference uh with a few australian journos about how annoyed he was and how the icc had redrawn the line and he didn't know under what rules the next game would be played or words to those to that effect and that's telling isn't it you know um that he'd have to have another chat to the match mm. referees because things, everything had shifted. And it seemed like a bit of a heat-at-the-moment response. And I'm sure he was counselled not to say anything like that. And I could see the look on the media manager's face as he said it. But then he went out again the next day. No, oh, he went out again, yes, the next day, and said very similar thing in radio interviews. So, yeah, you could see that. You could see that got to Smith, the Rabada stuff. Certainly the um, that unpleasantness that involved the South African officials and those face masks and things that were being said in the crowd. That really got, well, it got to the Warners, you know, I mean, we've seen that Candace say that David would come back at night and she'd be in tears in the hope the kids looking at her wondering what's wrong with mummy. That's a pretty tragic scene, isn't it? Um, mm. But we know yeah, whatever happened they're, they're to not, those not two guys. Sorry, go on. Whatever happened to those two officials? Did they get oh, sacked or suspended? They were sent back to Johannesburg to go through a disciplinary process. Apparently, uh, South Africa has become more bound in rules and regulations than uh, Australia. And so there's some sort of HR process that they have to go through. And everybody just looks at their feet and mumbles when you ask what, what actually happened to them. But nobody thought that it was going to turn out very well. Yeah, the South Africans are much better at closing ranks around their own. I mean, if you remember what happened to Faf, the whole team and country protected him when he was caught with the mints, whereas in Australia we just throw the, our players to the wolves and let them get torn apart. Uh, well, 
Yeah, certainly in that uh, in that example you bring up, that's true, and that's that word I use, lager, L-A-A-G-E-R, which is an Afrikaans word, uh, which means to circle the wagons, to protect yourself. You know, in the wars, that's what the uh, the trekkers used in the wars against the Zulus or the invasion of the Zulu lands, if you really want. So yeah, they, they are used to closing ranks and building walls around themselves to protect to protect themselves. I don't know if we don't do it, but we certainly didn't. Uh, Australia certainly didn't do it in this situation, but gee, at some point you've just throw, you've got to throw up your hands and say you were wrong, weren't you? And, uh, and to be honest with you, I thought that that was a farce. Um, all those South Africans standing there with Hashim Amlok saying, "We stand by our captain." I mean, some of the bloody bowlers at the back of that pack were giggling. It was so silly that whole carry on, but uh, self-righteous indignation. But uh, mm. anyway. <laughs> Big contrast to the Aussie reaction. Uh, how much of the, the the tampering what is just an escalation of a sort of tampering war that both sides have been at this for a couple of years now, trying to get away with what they can on the field, and uh, Australia just went one step too far? Yeah, well, that's what you have to assume happened, don't you? That, uh, that there would have been that rationalisation. I remember that one of the uh, things that uh, the Eston Football Club when uh, they were being urged by that uh, madman to uh, to get into that drug program, he was saying everybody's doing it as a way of... And, and James Hurd was convinced that everybody was doing these drug programs and that's why Essendon didn't have an edge. I wonder if the Australians thought that, you know, these South Africans were up to no good. Certainly the ball tampering to and fro was going on from the first test. I mean, it, it, was, in, it was thick in the air. I was commentating on radio in that session and was actually talking about ways to get the ball to reverse. Uh, and two minutes after I went off air, that picture of sandpaper went up on the screen. Um, I'm too much of a Pollyanna to have ever believed that anyone used sandpaper to reverse a ball. But now I might have to go back and rethink the way I think about those things. What do you think about the response from Cricket Australia to the crisis do you think that they handled it well uh well they're handling it at the moment aren't they she's i'm a bit of a cynic about the way they do things but to hear that david peaver who hasn't exactly covered himself in glory in his past few weeks or in the past year i'm referring to the mou dispute there uh stand up and say that james sutherland's job's safe and we're all behind James Sutherland, but we're going to have a massive review into everybody's position. You say, well, what, the starting point of your review, before you even start, you've built a wall around James Sutherland. I hope I'm proven wrong, but uh, there needs to be root and branch reform at Cricket Australia to fix this up. I mean, the public, real, a, lot of the, a lot of the angst around the ball tampering wasn't necessarily all about ball tampering was it it was about the way australians play cricket and have been playing cricket and that noise has been in the air for years we've all heard it and some of us have taken it more seriously than others and i think i'm guilty of not taking it that seriously but these this isn't this isn't a totally aberrant moment this isn't some sort of black swan event with no antecedents things were leading to this moment and People need to be held responsible. And the whole point of the Argus review was that there must be accountability uh, in the structures in cricket. So some, there needs this. I want to see how this review turns out, but 
Yeah. Well, you got to go up the line. Lehman has resigned, and he that obviously was appropriate. To, that was appropriate. I of think. Of course, and he has to take some responsibility for what happened. But then you go up the line, and Howard's the next. Pat Howard's the one above Lehman, yeah. so his position has to be looked at. And, and you know, you well, keep his, going up the his line. position involves team culture. That's written in the sort of job description that the Argus Review created when they when they created his position. Mm. Yeah. So I think they do have to look at right up the line to all the way to James Sutherland. Do you think the players' sanctions were the appropriate length? Do you think Warner Smith being out for a full year, considering no other no other international captain has been rubbed out for the same amount when they've done similar things? You only have to look at our friend from the press box, Mike Atherton, who did something very similar. Yeah, look, I, I don't think that they're manifestly disproportionate to the reaction from the Australian public to the horror uh, that everybody experienced when they but saw that. Aren't we that. just a slave then to and the dis- you know, and social the dis- media? If we just sort of... Was it just social media? I don't think... No, I, no, but everywhere. It was everywhere. I have never seen a reaction to an event in sport like that. I don't think I've seen a reaction to many things that happen in Australian life that had that much passion and that much outrage and sure some of it died down and now some people are going oh you know maybe it was a bit too much but no i i think it's fair you know an australian captain's involved in a situation like that and an australian vice captain uh they need to be severely punished they need to be put put out of the game for for some time to to reconsider what they did and a strong message needs to be sent to everybody in the game i mean if cricket wants to have that sac- almost sacred place it has in Australian life, it has to respond severely to, to an event like this, to, what, to what's just cheating. There's no other word for it. Um, we're, not, we're not one of the churches trying to cover up, uh, when I say we, I mean, cricket doesn't want to be like the churches trying to um and ah and make excuses for pedophilia and just you know, m- move the building blocks around. It had to respond strongly if it's to retain any credibility in the future. I just hope the ICC then start to, you know, ramp up the penalties from their end. They need to fix this yep. demerit point system. Without doubt. So that- there's, no, there's no doubt that the ICC penalties for ball tampering are, are too low. I mean, uh, if but- you're in that dressing room and you're Warner and Bancroft and you think, all right, if we get caught, the worst that's going to happen is we'll miss a game each. That's mm. what you're thinking. So yep. there's no deterrent there. Whereas if you're if the penalty I, like from the ICC... they weren't thinking, Andrew, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I mean, if the if the deterrent by the ICC is a five test five tests or you know ten one days, well then you'll you'll think really carefully about what you do. Yep. Yep. Now we've talked a lot about all the off field stuff. To end it all, I guess we should talk a bit about the cricket. Australia were just completely outplayed. Our batting lineup did not withstand the force of the South African bowling unit. What, what went wrong on the field? Hmm. It started well, didn't they? Yeah, great first test. Yeah, bowled reasonably well, I think. You know, if I look, Pat Cummins was outstanding. Starkey got injured pretty quickly. Stark got injured quickly, but was 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 very, very good in that first test with the reverse swing, which will always have an asterisk against it now. Batting didn't stand up, did it? Uh, well, how, how often have you heard it said that uh, the Australian cricket team relies on Steve Smith and Dave Warner, and if they don't perform, nobody does? I mean... Aussie got a pair of 50s, but uh, that's barely a pass mark, really, is it? Might be enough to keep him going. 
funnily enough, I thought Bancroft was going all right. At one point, I, I didn't sort of lost track of the cricket in the end, but going into that last test, he was the highest scorer for Australia. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I must note that you, you predicted that uh, Renshaw would be sent over at some point, and you turned out to be right. <laughs> you were right for the wrong thing. reasons, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thought it would be form, not sent over because of disgrace of some of the players. Yeah, look, and they, the fielding wasn't sloppy, was it? I think they just met a more determined, better team and, and a better bowling group. Uh, Rabada and Philander and Morkel on his day and their spinner. You know, they were all... Nathan Lyon wasn't as effective as he should be on that No, Mark, Maharaj out-bowled him, which I was surprised. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, look, that, that kid, Markram... Aidan Markram, did he get two centuries on the tour? It's all, and there's a sort of fog around mm. that tour now. <laughs> yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, God, he's a serious cricketer. I mean, I watched him bat in partnerships with Amla and De Villiers in that last game, and he made the going look easy while they were struggling. Now, that's really saying something when A.B. De Villiers is struggling and there's a kid at the other end going all right. De Villiers had an outstanding tour, didn't he? They scored more runs, they took more wickets, they won. They were a better team. Yeah, it seemed that way. And You know, you look back at Warner sort of firing up A.B. De Villiers and Markram in that first test, you know, yep. sort of stirred the hornet's nest. Um, <laughs> yeah, well said. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to go back to any moment in that, in that tour, it's that, isn't it? Yeah. Do, do you think the Thanks, three yeah. can rebuild their careers, Smith, Warner and Bancroft? Uh, yeah, I see no reason it's they can't rebuild their career, that Steve Smith can't rebuild his career. I mean, he's, he's the best batsman in the world. Uh, hopefully that doesn't go away, but who knows what this will do to his head. It'll be fascinating to watch, won't it, when yeah. Stephen Smith comes back to cricket, where he's at, you know, no longer a captain. Uh, what's happened to that strange batting technique that he has? I mean, does it fall apart just because he's only exposed to club cricket? Bancroft does Bancroft get back in it, it depends on the performances of uh, Matthew Renshaw and whoever else is opening the batting I guess Joe Burns um, but there's something I really like about Bancroft and there's something the team really liked about Bancroft um, <laughs> it's a strange thing to say but he, he's he's got this character that the team really likes um, he's, he's a weird cat um, he's sort of got that Langer intensity about him but uh, I, I, I heard them he comes say, I heard very the team, quirky. Go on. Very quirky. He is very quirky. quirky. Yeah, but I heard the team manager saying um, that he was one of the best kids that had come into the room for years, that they all just embraced him. But, uh, yeah, they, unfortunately, they did more than embrace him, I guess. And Warner, wow, what's this space? I don't know. If Warner's making runs, there'll be another, there'll, there'll be another column on the spreadsheet that they'll have to check, won't they? Do we want, mm. you know... They've held Warner up. Warner's the scapegoat on this one, isn't he? And all these other crimes are being brought up red against him in this incident instance. So are they going to say, is he the sort of guy we want playing cricket for Australia because he's, a, he's the guy that we've held out to blame for this ball tampering business, essentially, and he's the guy we blame for the on-field aggression? But uh, let's wait and see. David Warner's a good batsman. He's also a very determined character. So he won't give up easily, and if he has to change, he will. He's he's, he's shown that in the past, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, and and I think it would be strange from Cricket Australia to have appointed him T20 captain recently and given him that mm. responsibility. He makes one mistake, and then you say, look, we're never going to pick you again. So that's my opinion. I think everybody deserves another chance. 
Yeah, everybody does deserve another chance. I suppose David's had a few. Cricket Australia also need to probably change the ways that they do things, don't they? Mm. Mm. And probably, you know, I mean, it's been talked about, but Lehman did seem to let Warner off the leash on this tour and and uh, just didn't, didn't work, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> yeah. Pete, I think we should, should leave it here. We've had a very good sort of catch-up. You probably cricketed out now, but I must say that, you know, late at night here, I would put the TV on mute when I saw that you were commentating on SCN. I really enjoyed your commentary. Um, did you enjoy the commentating? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a novice at it, so I'm glad, to, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you put me in front of a microphone, I can talk forever. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting way to, to engage with cricket. It's another way to engage with the cricket. Uh, old bloke like me learning new skills is uh, interesting. Well, what I like about it is you just get on there and talk like you're, you're in a conversation. There's no fake voices. There's no – you're just having a chat. And, you know, even when Adam Collins decided to tell a three-hour story about a timeless test, you just let him go. You just let him take over. No worries. Just sat there and listened. I mean, such a good team, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. <It's... laughs> All right. On that note, Pete, take care. And uh, we'll catch up again soon. Okay. Good to chat, mate. See ya. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. Great stuff there from Pete Lawler. And now joining me is a sports journalist from the Daily Telegraph. And I've taken this from her Twitter feed. It says she's an Arsenal tragic and a South African in Sydney. Welcome to the show, Carly Adno. How are you, Carly? Good. Thank you for finally having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming. Jamie Pandaram was supposed to be here, but there's been an emergency in rugby. So he's had to duck off, I think. One of Australia's rugby players has decided that homophobia is the new fashion, so he can't be here. But I've got Carly instead. Carly, it's great to have a South African perspective on the series. You must be happy that South Africa finally beat Australia. Finally beat Australia in South Africa because we know that they've got a pretty good record in Australia. But, yeah, it was um, – what a series. It was – I really lost a lot of sleep during it, as I'm sure you did and, and mm. most of most of the Australian public did. But what an incredible series. And, yeah, I guess I'm pretty happy with the end result. Very dramatic series. Very dramatic. And at one point, Carly, I think I angered you on Twitter because I, I tweeted something in the heat of the battle and I think it went something along the lines of South Africans play dirtier than anyone, which did come back to haunt me when Australia was completely <laughs> busted for ball tampering. I guess what's your whole take on the – let's start with the rivalry between mm. South Africa and Australia because that's where a lot of my emotion comes from. It seems like a very – heated rivalry. What's the South African perspective? Up until now, I've always thought it was the kind of rivalry that was intense, but there was an underlying respect between the players. This series, I don't know if there was much respect at all. I think it was just pure rivalry, bringing out the worst in each other for some reason. I think both teams were so worked up ahead of the series and so worked up to do well that everything just, there were so many pressure points and things just exploded whereas we've never really seen that in previous series previous series has just been a lot of brilliant competitive cricket but then the utmost respect between teams at the end of day's play so this was a bit different to anything we've seen before yeah i think we started to see in the in the last series in australia and the series in south africa before that that australia and south africa really wind each other up and i, I sort of 
try and work out what it is. But and, and I, I tweeted this badly, but I think the South Africans, more than anybody, are prepared to go the whole hog when it comes to cricket and especially against Australia. They will sledge with us. They will, Rabada will send people off. They are just as competitive as Australians. So when the two sides meet, it just is like this huge um, combination of two sides that just won't give an inch. But the interesting thing is I don't really see that from South Africa against any other teams, to be honest. I think... I think it's Australia that brings that out of them. And Rabat is new and he's definitely got this um, this passionate element about him, which, you know, steps over the line a little bit. Um, and then there's Faf Duplessis, who also has that element in him. But I think previously when A.B. de Villiers was captain, when Graham Smith was captain, it was, it was just, um, you know, it, it didn't boil over quite as much. So there is something about the personalities and the leader of the South African team that is enabling things to boil over a little bit more. Yeah. When you were growing up in South Africa, what was the, the view of I guess Australians broadly and Australia. But, you know, I sort of understand when England's involved for, I guess, Australia and South Africa, you know, they were the original colonists. So you really want to beat the Poms. You really want to knock them over. And maybe if the Dutch play cricket, the South Africans (laughs) would do the same. But why is it that Australia is such a fierce rival for South Africa? Growing up in South Africa, Australia was the number one rival in every single sport. Didn't cricket, rugby... Anything that South Africa played against Australia, South Africa wanted to win. And there was, uh, there's just a, a general feeling that Australians can get a bit, go a bit over the top. They're a bit too, you know, in your face. They're, they're too good a lot of the time. And, you know, it, I think arrogant. that's where it, arrogant. And that's where it came from. You know, Australians used to, Australia used to win everything. And then there was also the element of so many South Africans emigrating to Australia. And it was always like, we've, you know, we've just got to beat Australia. And, you know, it, it just, it's, it's been there from the very beginning. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember for me when I started following cricket, South Africa weren't allowed to play international cricket because of apartheid. And then mm. when, you know, the early 90s, they were readmitted to international cricket. And I immediately was sort of struck that the South Africans were fiercely competitive on the field and they they brought about some of the best cricket between the two nations. But I guess in some ways I did always see them as the bad guys. I'm not sure if it was because of apartheid or because of the fact that they were so abrasive, but I remember thinking, oh, these guys really play it tough and I want to beat them. But in saying that, it's just brought about some of the most fantastic cricket in the last 25 years and, mm. it, and it has turned to respect and admiration of a great team. But I guess the fuel, there must be some kind of, I don't know where that rivalry comes from, but it seems to have maybe rugby or something, mm. but maybe it's come more from South African sort of re, re-entering international cricket and then started from there, the rivalry. Yeah, it could have. And it's interesting that you say that the Australians' perception of the South African cricket team was, what, what did you say? What did Bad you describe guys. as Bad guys. In South Africa, the cricket team is regarded as... The, the good the good guys amongst all the the national teams because cricket's kind of been the most inclusive and the gentleman's game mm. and this South African cricket team probably has one of the best reputations in the country so that's completely different to what the outside perception is which is interesting yeah look that is interesting I, I would have thought it'd be the football team the soccer team that would be like that for South Africa but I guess cricket as you say has that 
feeling of being the gentleman's game and we've seen the quota system of bring in more people from different cultures to play mm. in South Africa. So you've mm. got a diverse team. Yeah. Um, what about Captain Faf Duplessis? I think Faf came out of that series against Australia looking so good. When he could have stuck the boot in the Aussies or, or said a few things, he, he really held himself up. He was very diplomatic. He was very uh, empathetic towards the Australian's plight after they got caught ball tampering. Well, he what, has to be. <laughs> what do you think of Faf? I think that he's a he's a natural leader. He has always been the captain of his teams. Even back at school level, he was playing alongside Abe de Villiers at school level and Faf was always the captain. So it's funny because even when Graham Smith stepped down from the captaincy and there was all, all the debate who's going to take over, even when Faf was not even a regular member of the team, there were calls for Faf to take over as captain even from then because he's just got a natural leadership ability. And Abe was good, but... Uh, not not the same personality as Faf. And like you said, Faf kind of, he knows what to say. He knows how to say it. He he knows how to lead the team. He's definitely got a little bit more of a ruthless element to him. And perhaps that's what the rest of the team are feeding off at the moment. But he's a good person to have as the leader of the team where it stands now. He seems very street smart. I mean, when he got caught ball tampering, he reacted totally different to Steve Smith did. Mm. You know, he put up the barriers. He was he was much smarter in the message that he he got out, whereas the Australian captain just went up there and blurted to the whole world that we're all cheats. So yeah. I think Australia could use some of his cunning almost and his international street smarts. Well, he has been playing domestic cricket for a long time. He was quite late into the national scene. He'd been playing domestic cricket for a while before that. But the difference was also that he had the backing of Cricket South Africa. You know, Cricket South Africa jumped to defend him straight away, whereas Cricket Australia didn't defend their players. And I understand it was completely different because I guess the ball tampering issue with Australia was kind of the final straw on top of a lot of things that had happened. But yeah, Faf, I guess as... You know, the one of the leaders, he took it all upon himself. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. It was just, it was all him. He defended what he did. Cricket South Africa defended what he did. And just a completely different situation. It was quite bizarre. Yeah, I think Faf spends a lot of time in front of the mirror too. <laughs> Handsome man. I think his nickname is uh, Zoolander. In the oh, team. really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> not surprised. So I guess, do you think that the Australian public overreacted to what, happened in South Africa or was the reaction appropriate? There was a lot of outrage. I was surprised by the amount of outrage that there was. I I don't think you can compare a mint in your mouth to sandpaper in your pocket. Like, you, you know, and I think even if that had happened in South Africa, there would have also been outrage at a South African player for doing that. But I was a bit surprised at the initial outrage and then everyone realizing especially after the Steve Smith press conference, that there's a human being hurting here. And they made a big mistake. They made a big mistake. It was played out publicly and everyone kind of backed off a little bit after that. But the outrage that we saw here, I don't think you would have seen in South Africa at all. And, and what's, well, what's the reaction been like in South Africa and some of your friends? Was it the, the Poms have been happy to stick the boot in whenever they can? And mm. um, what, Has the South Africans been the same or have they been a bit more um, measured? In general, the South African media is a bit more measured. 
I mean, I think England took it way overboard, mm. the English press, and we, we know the feeling that they have towards the Australian team, and it felt, felt like they just used this opportunity to let loose and tell them exactly what they thought. But it wasn't it wasn't like that from South Africa. There was a little bit of schadenfreude, I guess, <laughs> that, <laughs> that Australia were caught doing something and um, a little bit of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've built many podcasts around uh, Schadenfreude when Australia is on the opposite end. So, <laughs> fair enough. People have been gloating. Yeah, uh, a little. So, I guess now that South Africa have removed this monkey off their back, they've beaten Australia for the first time at home since 1970. I guess, broadly speaking, what will that mean to South Africa? Oh, they were over the moon. The players, the public, absolutely over the moon. And I guess it just, I w- it just showed that. South African cricket is on the right path but there were also going to be a lot of changes because lost in all of the drama of the series was Faf pretty much saying that it was the last test series he and a lot of other senior players would be playing against Australia. I think him Mornay's already retired, AB will be retiring soon, I don't know if Dale Stain's ever going to play again mm-hmm. with that injury Hashimamla, I think it's going to be the start of a, a bit of a regeneration in South African cricket so I think they've realised They've achieved everything they can now and now it's left for the generation coming through to try and emulate and build on that because it's going to be a different South African team soon. Well, hopefully we'll be able to beat them when they come to Australia. (laughs) I think they've won the last three series in Australia. So South Africans really have the wood on Australia. Mm -hmm. I guess the only thing we can hold over them is the Cricket World Cup. That yeah, Africa. that's still still a sore point. Yeah, I was at the World <laughs> Cup semi final in nineteen ninety nine, Edgbaston. Great day. I, um, <laughs> I still haven't been able to watch a replay. I love it every day. Um, all right, so let's finish this podcast with a few headlines. Thanks for coming in, Carly. A um, couple of questions. Uh, firstly, do you think the band trio of Smith? Bancroft and Warner should be allowed to play the Big Bash. Now, I put this out on Twitter and got a 68% response saying, yes, they should be allowed to play. What do you think? I actually agree. I think that they should. I think that they have, by that stage, they would have been out of cricket for quite a while already. How many months is that? It would be like nine months. Nine months. That's a long time already to be out of cricket. And I think it would be a great time for them to get back into the game and it would be it would be good to see them back. Yeah, I think it would be good for the game mm. as well. It would be a chance for them to give back. You know, it's a game full of kids and families. It would be – they could serve as a reminder about what what happens if you get caught cheating. So, yeah, yeah. you know, at a, at a sport that is focused on kids and families, wouldn't it be great to see Smith run out for the Sixers or Warner run out for the Thunder? So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, you were at the – New South Wales Cricket Awards. You won an award for one of your stories. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we also had Elise Perry winning the Belinda Clark Medal, Daniel Hughes winning the Steve War Medal, and we also, uh, Ed Cowan, Doug Bollinger made retirement speeches. How was the New South Wales Night of Cricket Night of Nights? It was really good, and I think there was a lot of, I guess people weren't really sure how they were going to address the Steve Smith and Dave Warner issues, given it was so soon after, but the chairman, John Warren, addressed it pretty quickly early in the night, spoke about them, and I felt like once that was spoken about, just that, you know, obviously they don't condone or tolerate anything that they did, but they've been punished, and they've got 
the support that they need and I guess it's time to move on and let them let them deal with it now in private. So once that was addressed, it was kind of the elephant in the room up until then that it was addressed. It was it was really good and the retirement speeches of Ed Cow and Doug Bollinger and Alex Blackwell were superb. They were just everyone had a tear in their eye through through every single speech. It just went to show how much these players loved playing cricket and how much they've devoted their whole lives up until now to cricket. It was it was they were beautiful speeches, and um, overall, yeah, really good night. Steve Steve Waugh was there to hand over the Steve Waugh medal, obviously, and he spoke about Steve Smith about how he's a once in a generation player and he really hopes to see him back for Australia soon. And there was a lot of applause to that, so that was the general feeling. Interestingly, Stephen O'Keefe was not there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say no blow-ups this year. No blow-ups. I think they did all they could to prevent. Yeah, probably a smart idea he's staying (laughs) away from this year after the regrettable incidents of last year. Um, Now, there's been some talk now about the TV rights deal that some of the Big Bash might go to Foxtel. Now, I think one of the... One of the reasons the Big Bash is so successful is it's on free-to-air television and that if you took a chunk of it and put it on Foxtel, the, the men's Big Bash, then you might dilute the product. Do you think there's a danger of that happening? I do because obviously we saw Fox had it initially and it was really you, – you, you always know they're going to do a, a tremendous production. They do brilliant productions. But the time Big Bash really exploded was when it moved to free-to-air. So – there would be a bit of a risk, I think, in, in moving it to Foxtel. And I think the the aim would be to try and keep it on free-to-air. Yeah, I agree. Keep it on free-to-air as much as you can. I'm happy for the women's big bash for a large chunk of that to go on Foxtel because they're only televising 10 or 12 games. So yeah. if you at least maybe had more of them on free-to-air uh, yeah. on Foxtel, it would be a good way of getting more coverage. Yeah, I agree. Now, final headline, Carly, and can you believe this? So Aaron Finch and Usman Khawaja got married on Saturday night. Congratulations to both of them, I believe. Glenn Maxwell was Aaron Finch's best man. So first question, if you're an Australian cricketer and you get invited to Aaron Finch's and Usman Khawaja's wedding on the same night, what do you do? Oh, decisions, decisions. Yeah, it's a tough You either one. go to neither or you go to the one that's in your state, I guess. Yeah, I reckon if yeah. you play for Victoria, yeah. you'd go for Finch's. <laughs> I think so. And then how about the newlyweds? I hear Aaron Finch got married Saturday night, flew out Monday to the IPL. How do you think that's going to go for their marriage? <laughs> I think it would have been discussed in depth beforehand, and uh, I'm sure she'd be going with him. And she'd probably be counting the cash from the IPL oh, deal, yeah. I wouldn't mean, you? You can't really complain. It's a, <laughs> it's a nice little wedding present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the headlines from the Cricket Week. Now, with the news, with the podcast, there is no show next week. We have uh, next week off. I've given myself the week off, and then I'll be back in two weeks with Trent Copeland. Carly, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm sorry for calling South African cricket as the bad guys. That's all right. I just think... You know, I remember that South African fans in particular were really used to get stuck into the Aussies at the cricket. I remember them stabbing plastic kangaroos in England and, you know, they really wanted to beat us. So I think it kind of gets my blood going and sometimes I think South Africa in particular fires me up. Well, it's it's mutual. I mean, (laughs) Australian team used to fire me up 
tremendously and now I find myself working <laughs> working with them <laughs> which is never in my wildest dreams that I think that would happen and anyone who knew me growing up in South Africa can't believe that this is where really? I am right That's now. That's so funny I can imagine <laughs> you running around in your spring box top. <laughs> I did actually um, and after that 99 World Cup that was just I, I think I vowed never to have anything to do with the Australian team after that. Yeah well but. I was on the boundary at Edgbaston it was so good <laughs> charging the field and I, I was at the game before in the Super Six I was, I was in tears. Oh, great. Um, that kind of makes me feel a little bit better when we go back to Schadenfreude. But look, we should leave it there, Carly. Thanks so much for coming in. And Thanks, I really Andrew. appreciate the South African perspective because it's something I don't have a great idea of. So to understand it a bit more is very insightful. And hopefully we'll catch up again soon. That'd be great. Thanks, Andrew. Listeners, thanks so much for downloading the show. Remember, you can keep up with all the cricket news at dailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. And we'll be back in two weeks with another podcast.